Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the NFL Scotland podcast. We're over the halfway line, but there's still plenty to play for. And as we hit episode 123, it feels only right we use this one to talk about some of our current top threes in the NFL. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Charles Patterson, standing in for Paul Mitchell this week, who appears to have gone AWOL. Perhaps he's still drunk after watching his Saints batter the Buccaneers. And I think that's as much as we're going to give the Saints. If he can't be bothered to turn up, let's not even bother talking about it. It was so one-sided. Does it even need any more discussion? Nah. A fluke They result. were very good. They were very good, but we don't like talking about the Saints on this podcast because we usually get into nonsense about people throwing flags and refereeing conspiracies. And so we'll give them their 10 seconds of due and we'll move on. I'm more interested actually talking about Brady at some point about how bad he was. And I'm, you know, you know, I'm not a big Tom Brady fan, so we could delve into what's wrong with the Buccaneers later. But well done, New Orleans. Bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> so before he even turns up, why don't we talk about top three best no calls that the New Orleans Saints have haven't had in essence, um, and go through our top three of those ones. So number one for me is that one against the Rams uh, in that game. That I mean, you know, Robbie Coleman. To be honest, I thought it was a, a great no call at the time. I think that's my absolute favourite one. Um, yeah, well, I, I could you could totally understand at the time why the decision was made, and of course. Um, it's about moving the needle when you have big decisions. And that one was such a big decision that it changed the whole complexion of the league for an entire season because the screaming and wailing of Saints fans meant that they brought in pass interference review on video just for a season. And then everybody realized how pointless that yeah. was. So frankly, you know, it's all very well throwing a big stushy and a, you know, a complaint once in a while. Um, but if it's not a permanent rule change, then you know, you're getting back in your box, basically. So Mr. Mitchell has joined us, but I feel like we should complete this list before we allow him to chip in here. So number two in the all-time greatest Saints no-calls is, of course, the one last season when there was absolutely no pass interference in the end zone whatsoever. They lost that game fair and square. There was a mild brushing of arms on backs. Nothing more than that. I think an excellent no-call there uh, and a deserved win. Um, also, for, also known as the uh, the Kirk Cousins coming out game, where okay. he showed uh, just how high quality a quarterback he was, and he threw for more than twenty yards as well, which was more than could be said for the uh, the opposing quarterback that day. And that's perhaps what cost the Saints. So maybe they've learned from that this season. Yeah, interesting as well that Kirk Cousins seems to have retired since then, and it just hasn't bothered playing since. So, um, so yeah, and then the final uh, all time favorite no call against the New Orleans Saints. Let's just do a collective all no calls against the Saints because we enjoy them particularly greatly here at the NFL Scotland podcast. And just just wait, because when it comes to the crunch, come playoff time, because I think they're good. I think they'll reach the playoffs. And then the, the big man himself, Jameis Winston, is in there and he throws long, looking for Mike Evans or Antonio Brown. Uh, no, no, not Mike Evans, Antonio Brown. God, I'm sorry, I'm getting flashbacks <laughs> there in terms of his years as a Buccaneer. He's looking, he's looking in the end zone for Michael Thomas, the redeemed Michael Thomas, after all his um, teammate um, punching affairs earlier on the season. Michael Thomas is going for the ball. Winston's pass is on the mark, and there's a defensive pass interference. We know it's not going to get called because it's the Saints. I think this is a great shout. The best, the third best no-call in Saints history is the one that they're going to have against them in the 2020 playoffs. So I think that's brilliant. Uh, notable mentions, no-call from Jadavian Clowney. He decided not to call because he was going to the Titans instead. So, you know, a, a, a team's 
steeped in history of no calls. But Mr. Mitchell, you've joined us. Um, welcome to episode 123 of the NFL Scotland podcast. It's good to have you with us. It's absolutely brilliant to be here. And I, I'm trying to remember the last time I heard such great analysis. Um, I think it was preschool, but I, I couldn't <laughs> um, More importantly, so, what, what, what kept you? Where, where have you been? What's going on? I could give you a clever answer. I could give you the real answer. The real answer is that um, I've, I've been in a church meeting um, that started right. at half past seven. So that's where I've been. <laughs> Slightly overrunning in terms of time. But what I did learn, and, and I thought you'd be interested in this because you might not have covered this, but currently if the playoffs were to start today, let me just check the NFC seed one, the Saints. And, and as it says underneath, Get it right up you. Right. <laughs> but as it's we nice know, as we know fine well, the playoffs don't start today. So it's a pointless conversation. You need to hang on to that one. But Can I actually say it's actually a really good conversation because I'll tell you what we if it started today, all the games I think are really pretty watchable in the NFC. I mean, you would watch the LA Trumps taking on the Seattle Seahawks. You'd watch the Cardinals at the Packers, which I think would be a cracking game, and the Bucks at the Eagles, which would be really interesting as well. So actually, I think it's quite fascinating. Now, if you go, if you flip to the other side, to the AFC, some team from Pittsburgh, whatever, <laughs> I think they've not lost yet, are number one seeds there. The you would argue there would be one weak game, but even then I could probably argue against that. I mean, who wouldn't watch the Ravens at the Titans? Cracking game. Raiders at the Bills, be really interesting. The Dolphins at Kansas, two in the playoffs perhaps, taking on Patrick Mahomes. You know, two is two and all. Oh. Justin Herbert, for example, is one and six. Justin Herbert's played much better, but two is on a better team and has landed with two wins. Um, I, I think it's really quite, quite fascinating how things are. Indeed. My problem. I would say my problem with the playoff picture just now um, is the fact that they're now discussing potentially if we are affected by COVID having eight teams in each conference. And if you look at it now, that means the Chicago Bears get into the playoffs, which is wrong on every level known to man. So let, you know, the season doesn't start until after Thanksgiving. We all know that. (laughs) And you know what's happening on Thanksgiving? There are going to be a few turkeys thrown around and then it's all going to change. So you keep your smug face and your big <laughs> grin. Just keep it down a touch because, uh, you know, one one swallow doesn't make a summer, Mitchell. No, no, it doesn't. But let's go to some of the things that I learned this week. Now, I didn't realise this, genuinely didn't realise this, that if you take a knee, that counts in your as a rush in your rush stats. I didn't know that. So that allowed... Uh, Tampa Bay to have five rushes in the game rather than four. Stunning. That's the lowest ever in an NFL game. Tom Brady's third lowest passer rating. It's the first time, I thought this was brilliant, it's the first time he's ever been swept in division. That's incredible given the length of his career. That was utterly, utterly stunning. And the other good thing was um, the Saints were brilliant. <laughs> uh, we we'll cover that. I know we'll you have, them. but... I've still got to go there. I generally, you know, I woke up, I didn't watch the game live. I woke up, I ignored all the social media stuff. I got it on Game Pass. And you're thinking, has Cameron hacked my Game Pass and put together a montage of just Saints drives against the Bucks and he's got the graphics up? Because I couldn't quite believe what I was watching. It Tom Brady looked like me playing Tom Brady, Tom Brady on Madden, you know, overthrowing people and not getting anywhere near anybody else. That, I've, 
I have to say, and I'll be really honest, because you know I'm a big Tampa Bay Rays fan. They are my baseball team. I love them to bits. So I, I've not, I don't really hate the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but I'll tell you what, that was as sweet a Saints win as I've seen in a long, long time. I Lovely. think we talked about this as well, and there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people jumped on the Buccaneer bandwagon because Brady went there. And then there's a lot of people that automatically jumped on the other side of that bandwagon because Brady went there. And that, that band, those people that are sort of uh, willing them to lose, uh, you know, only few was added to that fire because of the Antonio Brown pickup. And Antonio Brown came in, made his debut, and really had very little impact uh, whatsoever. So I think personally, the fact that he's obviously coming there thinking Billy Big Boss, he's going to go on and win the Super Bowl, there you go, slap reality right in the face. It's no sure thing, Antonio. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, I took great pleasure. Um in spite of the fact I knew I was going to have to put up with this smugness, um, I did take great pleasure in the outcome <laughs> of that. Every single incomplete pass was a, a joy to behold. Um, and that, yeah, it, it was it was glorious. It was glorious. Can I ask you both a serious question? Both as broadcasters, a genuinely serious question, because I thought Al Michaels uh, and Chris Collingworth covered this really well. Antonio Brown has an outstanding rape allegation against them. They mentioned that on on Sunday night. And I thought, and I'd be really interested in you guys' perspectives, I thought they handled it pretty damn well. That There is very few crimes that are more heinous than that that you can be accused of, and he has been accused of it. And I thought they handled it well. And I'm just not sure, and Charles, you, you might know this, I'm just not sure British television would have handled that in the same way. Well, you can't talk or discuss about active court cases in a broadcasting environment, um, once a case is active, you could potentially prejudice it. So I think the first thing to say is that if this was in a UK environment, Antonio Brown wouldn't be on a team in the yes. United Kingdom. So yeah. there are different laws, obviously, that are different, perhaps, um, moral judgments as well as legal judgments, I think, that the team have made in order to sign him. I mean, I think it's well-documented. Bruce Arians has got grave reservations about the man is a character. Now, there is this outstanding case. Clearly, there is no issue with contempt of court um, from the point of view of, of the NBC crew being able to talk about it. Or if there is, then they choose to just gloss over it. But I mean, the, the, the number one rule is if there's an active case, don't go near it. That's, that's basically what you're taught. That's journalism 101 in terms of legal training. I, I thought they did they did deal with it pretty well, but from the point of view of a football audience, I'm not sure that football audience really care that much about it. It's a, I don't, I don't believe that your average American football fan who supports the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is going to be potentially bothered a huge amount about his off field issues. If he's going to deliver on the field. And I don't believe frankly, that the Pittsburgh Steelers would have if he was still at the Steelers, if he was delivering on the field. Um, the actual issue around the man himself, whether he should have been signed or not, I think is the bigger question. I have, I mean, he obviously served a suspension and has come back. I have to question the whole legality behind that and the morals behind him actually being able to to play at all. That's, that's the bigger thing for me. I do think, though, that they covered it very, very well. But if it had been me in the in the broadcast booth or involved in the production, I wouldn't have even gone near it. We wouldn't have touched it at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's. I don't, think, I don't think the fans are. I don't think the fans 
the fans want to look at it from a football context. And a lot of people might disagree with me about that. But you look at footballers or other sportsmen and women who've had criminal convictions. I think a lot of the time, if you've got, if you're supporting them as a fan, I think you park that. Yeah, it's it's Come. definitely an it's definitely an interesting one, and it, it's it's uh it, it it's one of these things until it's resolved in whatever way it's resolved, it's going to be uh, an issue. And I think that you know, as a fan of my team, I wouldn't want a player with that hanging over them involved in my team. Uh, that's certainly the way that I would be, and I've always kind of, I've said that even about the way that sometimes players play on the field puts me off them. You know, I don't like that in-your-face, aggressive, over-the-top. You know, I've bemoaned Jalen Ramsey repeatedly for his antics and stuff like that. There's several people that used to play on the Seahawks. There's one that now plays for the Niners, whom I never liked their attitude, and that was just mouthing off, nothing more. So when you get into something much more serious, it's, it definitely, for me, is... Um, part of the reason why I don't want to see him succeed. Uh, and it's, you know, and again, for the Tampa thing, I have no issue with Tampa Bay at all. I really don't. What you've got there is, and again, it's funny, it's different people because I've got no issue with Brady for anything he's done off the field. I just, I'm kind of bored of seeing him win. When it comes to Antonio Brown, I, I, Definitely because of the character issues. And, and I mean, some of the stuff, you know, a court case is obviously yet to be proven one way or the other, but you don't need that to have seen how much of a dick he is. Um, he's proven it himself repeatedly. And therefore, I can make that judgment based on what I've seen with my own two eyes and come to the conclusion that he's an asshole. Um, you know, he repeatedly won the Bobag Award last season because he was behaving like a Bobag. Um, and for that reason, I'm able to make that judgment, uh, which is that difficult scenario that you get into, you know, it's, it's, but yeah, absolutely. A, a heinous, heinous crime that he's been accused of, absolutely one of the worst. And, you know, if found guilty, should never be anywhere near a football field ever again in his life. Um, yeah. But yeah. I would say, I, I think we've got to stress he's innocent until proven yeah. guilty, first yep. thing. Absolutely. And I would be interested to, it would be interesting to speak to Cleveland Browns fans, for example, to find out what they think of Kareem Hunt who's obviously got a past history, was released by the Kansas City Chiefs as a result. Yet now he's an important part of their offense. There are many, many players in the NFL who have had legal issues and have come back and have been redeemed. And I, I don't have a problem with second chances, but when a case is outstanding and, and is, is out there and potentially could be talked about and prejudiced, and yet this guy is on the field and maybe leading Tampa Bay to a good season, I think that there are major questions about the whole process in the NFL. And I think that's the bigger issue there. And I don't think any, I think that puts broadcasters in a compromising position as well, actually, in my view. Can I just say that if anybody hasn't watched it yet, the Netflix series on Aaron Hernandez shows what happens when you ignore, I mean, not red flags, there was red banners all over the place on that one. And, I, I'm not big on, you know, footballers are role models and sports people are role models. I'll argue that case all day long. They're people just like you and I, and they're flawed. So I, I never, I know they're in important positions, but I've never liked that. But when an organisation turns a blind eye to, you know, problems that somebody clearly has, and Aaron Hernandez, you didn't need hindsight to work out the problems that they had. The Patriots were, in my mind, and I think if you watch the documentary, you listen to the podcast, which is actually even better, they were negligent in their handling and put people at risk. 
Um, and I think that's where sports teams have a responsibility to the wider society. Not, I'm all for redemption stories, Charles. You've mentioned that, you know, people who have done their time, they've done something bad, they've done their time, they've paid the price. Second chance, yes. Third chance, I'm not really into. But, you know, a second chance there. We've mentioned Michael Vick recently in the, the 30 for 30 on him regarding the dogfighting and, and the struggles he had to come back from that. But I, I'm not into... As I say, I, I just think it would be better leaving him well alone till the end of his case. If he's proven innocent, bring him back. That's fine. But I, but I, I just like the fact that NBC didn't miss it. And it was perhaps it might not have been mentioned if it had been a one o'clock game because it's just there's so many. But, the, you know, Sunday night football is right across the country. There's more casual viewers. And if it was a production decision to mention it, I applaud them. And if it was Alan Chris on their own, then they've probably got the gravitas to do it. I don't think, for example, the Monday night crew who are just together would have got away with that. The one thing that uh, Al Michaels did show up in, in, in his broadcast, he was pissed that the game was over at half time. He was yeah, not he happy was. at all. Oh. He wants ratings and he knew everyone was switching off. <laughs> <laughs> apart from the Saints fans, apart from the Saints fans. Yes. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a hard sell when, when something's gone so one-sided. It is a desperately hard sell to keep. I, I hope you've I hope you've managed to crystallise that game into one of these recording files on your uh, Sky Plus box, Paul, <laughs> that you can never delete. Never tell Adam never to delete it because you can watch it again and again and again when all hope is lost. I, it's it's my Game Pass porn. I can tell you. <laughs> Right, on that note, I am now moving us on because there was other stuff that happened. And I'm, uh, we'll top and tail this and let's get this one out of the way. The Packers with a 34-17 victory over the Niners on Thursday night football. Green Bay now 12-3 and against San Francisco in the regular season since 1996. We have not had our way against the Packers in the regular season. We've done much better in the playoffs, but um, yeah, no real surprise there. We basically had our C team out. Um, you know, it wasn't even the B team, yeah. it was the C team. But um, Excuses, excuses. It is excuses, excuses, excuses. But do you know what? Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams is finding the form of his life. Obviously, you look at the numbers that he's put up already, given that he's missed some games and he's up at the top of the charts. Uh, what a connection those two have. Um, and I think that Rodgers, you know, the Rodgers revenge season is definitely in full swing and they keep bouncing back from defeat, which is a sign of character and is exactly what you want to do. You just don't want any of those defeats to land in the postseason. Anything that you want to add, Charles, to that? No, nah, you said it all. Yeah. I don't need to kind of, I, I don't I don't want to troll you. I, I trolled you last night when I wore my, uh, <laughs> my beanie hat in my co-commentary gig. Incidentally... Mr. Mitchell, did you notice that um, we've got a kind of dream team uh, commentary duo lined up here now? Um, Cameron may well have uh, pointed this out to you that um, I've had some good feedback here on the fact that I'm a better co-commentator than a a reporter. I think that there's a a future here. When are you going to invite me along to a game? You're you're welcome at my side anytime. There's absolutely no doubt. But I think you've got the influence in Scottish broadcasting. So let's get rid of Crocker and Proven for tomorrow. And let's get you and me on the Serbia game. You've got that kind of influence. You make that happen. I think a Hobbs-Patterson duo on the uh, the Serbia-Scotland game would probably blow the airwaves off. off, off. <laughs> I don't think that would be a good good idea at all. No, I think that we would do the Sky PR team no good whatsoever. I think the stress levels would be through the roof on that one. 
<laughs> I, and for the record, I do rate Ian Crocker. I don't want him going anywhere. No, neither do I. I do like Ian, but I mean, if, he wants the, if he wants the night off, I'm quite happy to step in. That's not a problem, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not having a bad word about him at the moment. So other things from the weekend as we move on. The Falcons nearly falconed it again, but held on to hold off the Broncos in what was actually quite an entertaining game in the end. Um, not necessarily a lot to talk about there. Uh, the Seahawks-Bills was an eye-opener. I think that the AFC East, for the most part, has definitely got the number of the NFC West this year, which is surprising how strong I think the NFC West is. The AFC East, between the Dolphins and, you know, the Bills here, getting a great result against Seattle. And, I mean, it was right from the off. They were aggressive. Russell Wilson not having his best game either. Um, got some junk time points towards the end to make it sort of interesting, but it really was, I think, a little bit, a little too little too late. Um, I saw one Seahawk fan who we've had on this podcast before say, I think it wasn't even as far as half time that they might not win again till December, which was the most ridiculous overreaction I think I've seen from anybody. And I'm a negative niner, so I, you know, that says something. Uh, the Seahawks will be fine. This is nothing more than a blip on their part. Uh, the Ravens, um, <laughs> I. I think the image, one of the images of the weekend is Philip Rivers lying on his back, spread eagle, as the Ravens run away for a pick six. <laughs> I just thought... I, I wondered where you were going with that, I have to say. <laughs> uh, Ravens 24-10, 20 plus points in 31 straight games for the Ravens, um, largely because they got rid of Joe Flacco, I would say, on that one. They wouldn't have done I that think with Flacco. Yeah, the game spoke to me more about the Colts. That was the chance for the Colts to make a statement. And, well, in fact, they did make a statement. They're not good enough. Um, I was really disappointed in the Colts. I thought this was a chance to really put some pressure on the Ravens. If you could have handed them a loss in your own building and sent them away, you know, they, they were in a little bit of trouble. So I, I was slightly disappointed, because obviously because I couldn't noise Gordon up a little bit more than I would have liked to have done. But just overall, you know, I'd had a lot of faith in the Colts and they kind of kind of bit me a little bit on that one. Um, it's Minge who in Jacksonville as Luton comes in and almost beats the Texans. Do you know what? I was rooting for him. I was rooting for him. And I think it says an awful lot about the state of the Texans that the, the Jacksonville could have could have won that in the end. They could have won it. It really was very close. Um, and the Texans just, yeah. I mean, fine, they're two and six now, but that's just... But that was a bum time game. You rooting for Luton? Rooting, I was rooting for Luton. Rooting, tooting for Luton. Well, they're up against Green Bay this week, so it's going to be they're going to be one and another. <laughs> as much as uh, Luton might uh, might be the, I think we're going to talk later on about about this. But you do wonder where the Jacksonville are secretly trying to lose. Yes, um, you do wonder. <laughs> <laughs> Um, a team that I don't think are trying to lose, but they did just lose to the one of the top teams in the whole of the NFL. The Panthers came very close to beating the Chiefs. Um, Christian McCaffrey back, although he's injured again and uh, won't be back this weekend, but um, came back into that. Uh, and the Panthers, 31-33, that was close as well. They had the chance to, to win it right at the end. I mean, it would have taken one hell of a kick, but, you know, they were in that game, and that's a very impressive performance from them, although it doesn't matter. Come the end of the day, they're still 3-6, and six, up against an 8-1 now Chiefs. The Vikings. Now, Paul, we talked last week um, on the podcast that we both thought the Vikings at 2-5 and five had a very strong chance of still making the postseason. 
I think that with the 34-20 victory over the Lions, they moved to 3-5, and five, which is the same as the Lions now. Um, and that, I still feel exactly the same as I did last week. I feel like the Vikings are probably one of the teams that their, their record doesn't reflect how they're performing on the field. And I think that I anticipate that they're going to have a good second half to this season. Yeah, I mean... This, this is what we suspected, that they had so many players that were new that would take them a little bit of time to actually get themselves going. But I, th- I think they did just that. I mean, this was on a day where Kirk Cousins went 20 passes. That was it. You know, 13 for 20, 220 yards, three touchdowns, exceptionally um, efficient, 22 carries for Cook, total carries for Madison. I think they just they did what they had to do to win that game. I think if you flip it and you see your Detroit... Matt Patricia doesn't have long legs. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm scrambling slightly because I'm sure it's, he's 0-10 against certain teams that you should at least have three or four wins against. And I think Patricia, it's just not worked for him. And these games where you're going, you know, you are, you know, three and four at the time going into Minnesota, who were two and uh, two and five. You know, you've got to go in there and win that game to get separation and boost you up. He couldn't do it. Simple as that. And again, you've got to give some credit to Matthew Stafford, who'd been on the COVID list, you know, been kept away from everybody. But the Lions, I mean, I'm used to being disappointed by the Lions at home. They now continue to disappoint on the road. <laughs> Minnesota are in the playoff race, and I think it's genuine because of Dalvin Cook, let's be honest. <clears throat> and it's because Kirk Cousins isn't throwing the ball 30 times. If he throws the ball 15 times, Minnesota will win. Because Dalvin Cook, if he can run 200 yards every week, and he ran, he was 252 scrimmage yards. That's two weeks in a row. He's on pace to break the record for the NFL for touchdowns and potentially go for 2,000 yards. So if they just ride him, then there's nothing to stop them. I mean, they're three and five at the moment. There's nothing to stop them going nine and seven, ten and six. And given that it's an expanded, you know, wild card field, you could see the Vikings sneaking in and. Given what they did to Green Bay a couple of weeks ago, I'm not hugely happy about that. I'm just glad that we've not we don't have to play them again in the uh, regular season. <laughs> well, that's true, but they, they they do play the Saints, and I'm going to be really interested in this. This is the Christmas Day game. Now, the Saints, as far as I'm concerned, so the Saints are 48 games round about that where they've not allowed a 100 yard rusher. Now, the Saints have got to play the 49ers this week. Hmm. Uh, they then got to play the Falcons, the Broncos, the Falcons again, the Eagles. Now, they do play the Chiefs um, just before Christmas. But they've got a tremendous defence. And Cook against the Saints defence, I'm really looking forward to seeing. I hope Minnesota are in plus, because what a Christmas Day game that's going to be. The Vikings here with Cook up against Saints who may or, you know, you can't take anything for granted. But the, the schedule looks a little bit more favourable for the Saints after the first part of the season. But I think you're absolutely right, Charles. They will write him all the way. And I think he, he is definitely a difference maker. So other results from the weekend, the Bears lost out narrowly to the Titans. Again, that feels like it looks a bit closer on paper than it actually was. Uh, the Bears really weren't particularly impressive again. Uh, the Giants came out winners over the Washington football team to keep that AFC East Still rubbish, but certainly very close as there's not an off the one and a half games between all these teams now, where which is fascinating. Um, yeah, because I think the, the winner goes to the Citrus Bowl this year <laughs> to lose. Daniel Jones, though, four and oh in his career against Washington, and he's one and 16 against all other teams. 
He wants to play Washington every week. The Raiders came out winners over the Chargers, which was a thrilling game. The Chargers had a couple of touchdown opportunities at the end, didn't quite make it. They were awarded a touchdown, but it went to review. You could pretty much see what was happening there. That was getting chalked off. The ball definitely made contact with the ground, so that wasn't going to last. The Dolphins, we talked about this, the AFC East having the up on the NFC West. The Dolphins, two are... Fine, did well. It's that Dolphins defense is very impressive. Uh, and I thought they did a very good job of restricting the Cardinals. Look how quiet um, DeAndre Hopkins was. And that's rare to see him even targeted as little as that. Then the only other two games that we'll just touch on and we'll come back around for anything that you want to talk about is Steelers moved to 8-0. Gilbert Garrett came in for the Cowboys as they turned to their fourth quarterback of the season. He did better than the previous two. You could argue he maybe did a little bit better than Dak at points. But the Steelers came back and came back to win. Uh, ben Roethlisberger did look as though he was going to have to leave the game, but managed to play on. And Gordon's old words that I edited together, he is incredible, Ben Roethlisberger. And then the last one is the Jets basically blew uh, any chance of winning with their 12 men on the field at a field goal uh, to against the Patriots to give that one up because they want to not win and they want to get Trevor Lawrence. It's as simple as that. Um, Joe Flacco had the opportunity to lead his team down the field and blew it. But Flacco, to be fair to him, played pretty well. The Patriots win. They moved to 3-5. and five. The Jets are 0-9. That was the best. That was the Jets' best chance to get a win this season. I reckon they're not winning this year. Any other headlines that you want to touch on, guys? Before we go to our awards for this week. Yeah, I think Brett Mersberger's call of the Raiders winning. You know, he's just got a, such a joyful call when the Raiders eventually win. You know, Raiders win, baby. Uh, it's, it's just brilliant. It's great radio. And because you had that pause, because you weren't sure. I think they were fairly certain in the booth that we'd get overturned. Can I just talk a little bit about the Chargers yep. um, and how Anthony Lynn's going to get himself the sack, yeah. uh, despite having the, one of the best young quarterbacks going. Now, uh, roughly calculation, six games lost by 24 points. Now, you, you, you cross over from being unlucky to being incompetent at some point. And at what point do we start to regard Anthony Lynn as incompetent in terms of coaching his teams to wins? Because they keep losing close games. They they keep losing late couple of final plays, which doesn't help. Does anybody else share my share my thought that he could be walking out the building with a big cardboard box soon? When you've got a player like Herbert, you you hang your hat on him early doors. I think they made the right call to play him, apart from the fact that he was kind of forced in when the doctor decided to puncture Tyrod Taylor's lung. Um, you, you've got to make the most of your assets from a coaching perspective, but... I have to say, it comes down to players at the end of the day holding their nerve as much as as much as coaching decisions. Now, if he's a rookie, if he's a he's a rookie quarterback, then he's taking advice from the coach. But you know, the, the coach can only do so much. He's not the one that's going to drop the passes. He's not the one that is is going to make the throws, and he's not the one that's going to miss the tackles. So. The question is, who do you, you know, clearly the, 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 the team are playing for him. They're playing hard every week. They're scoring points. They've not chucked, chucked you know, chucked the season. I don't know. I think it's a very, very difficult one because if you then, if, if you if you get rid of the coaching staff, you then put Herbert potentially in a Sam Donald situation whereby he has another coaching staff, another offensive coordinator. He gets his mind full of mush. And then, I mean, ultimately, Anthony Lynn's a former running back. He wants to be able to run the ball and base that 
around his offense, and Herbert would then complement that. Eckler's out for the season. They've got a bunch of injuries, and they're playing hard every week. I think they have been unlucky, but I think for them to get rid of Anthony Lynn would be foolhardy if you're looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, I think it, it's an interesting one. and I, We talked about the Vikings, and actually I feel like the Chargers are the AFC equivalent of the Vikings in the NFC, in the sense that if you watch their games and you see how they play and you see what they're capable of, they're... they're season stat doesn't match what they're doing on the field. They are losing games, though. And I think that you're right. I think that if they continue to keep losing, whether it be by a point or whether it be by 20, there will come a point where Anthony Lynn is on the hot seat. And I guess he probably is certainly lukewarm at the moment. At the same time, all it'll take is a couple of wins for them, and suddenly we'll start to talk about them as a postseason contender again. Because actually, they're not that many wins behind in the grand scheme of things, and they've got games in their own division to come. Now, that one against the Raiders would have been a big one. Had they beaten the Raiders, then suddenly the conversation would already have switched, and you'd be talking about, right, this is Herbert, now he's going to lead this team. They've lost another one. If they're going to turn it around, they're going to have to turn it around in the next two games. Because if they don't do it in the next two, that's only going to go downhill. And you're right, I think that, you know... I think that even what he's done so far, he's way better than Sam Darnold is. And I think Sam Darnold's half decent. Um, but I think that Herbert is a great player. And I think that the other interesting point there is, yes, you, you could end up with a situation where you're into this horrible rotation of head coaches. I think that this is what the Cardinals suffered from for a long time. And, you know, there's much talk about, you know, they were wrong to move on from Rosen so quick and go and get Kyler Murray and yada, yada, yada. Well, uh, you know, under a new, another new head coach, it's looking pretty decent for them now. Um, and fine, that was a risk that they took, but it's worked out for them. So, um, yeah. I the, case, I... the case for the prosecution here comes because there's a recent example of the Rams bin Jeff Fisher. They brought in a different coach and Jared Goff became a better player than reached the Super Bowl. So for, for every case of you, you might say, yeah, they should stick with them because there is that risk of, you know, so many coordinators and, and changes. I think the bottom line is, there's two letters that matter. One is a W, one is an L. You keep collecting L's, you're going out the door, no matter how close these L's are, because at the end of the day, your record doesn't have a little asterisk to say, actually, we only lost six of these games by 24 points combined. It's a great stat, but there comes a point. And the easiest thing, and I think, Charles, you're absolutely right in what you've said, but the easiest thing is you change the coach because you can't change your players. And, and that's my fear for Anthony Lynn, that he's going he's gonna to get binned because his team can't get over the line. And you look at someone like Mike Tomlin, and the fact that the Steelers are 8-0 means that they are not going to have a losing season. And Mike Tomlin has never had a losing season. And you look even at last year when he's playing Mason Rudolph and Duck, whatever his face is, um, and he still managed to not have a losing season. It says so much about what he is uh, as a coach as well. I I think that for Anthony Lynn, it's not done and dusted yet. I think he just needs to turn it around. He needs to get something in the win column. He needs to get it soon because it is one of those ones that just does continue to get away from you. Um, you know, it, they are a couple of defeats away from being in the situation where no matter what they do, they're going to end up on a losing season. Whereas actually a couple of wins in the next two weeks means that they've got that opportunity to, to try and get some momentum behind them. Something that Herbert's not really had the opportunity to build. Um, okay, well, we move on to our awards and go through some of that. Let's go first of all to Twitter. Uh, Alan Morton, who's a Raiders fan, he his belter is Isaiah Johnson, stepping up big time, helping the Raiders get the win. Bowfin for him is the NFL for fines to the Raiders, Gruden, uh, and for losing the sixth round draft pick, plus moved our game versus the Buccaneers forward. 
Uh, and Bobag, who else but Antonio Brown? He's back. We've talked about that. Right, okay. Uh, <laughs> Paul, who's also a Raider. Derek Carr's leap gives him belter of the week. Baufin is the Chargers for finding another way to lose. And guess who his Bobag is? Yeah, we'll move on from that one. Antonio Brown. Um, Ross Black, Belters, Dalvin Cook, who went off again. Baufin of the Bucks were terrible, given their recent hype. And Bobag, for me, is himself for starting Brady over Breeze as he's quarterback in fantasy. <laughs> Shorty B, his belter, the Dallas Cowboys punt return play, which, I'll be honest, was ballsy and had me standing up out my seat. I was like, I don't believe that. <laughs> can, can, I, can I counter that? I, I've got a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast was not impressed <laughs> with that play. He felt that was college level and dumb. Oh, really? So was not happy whatsoever. He felt that that was a dumb gimmicky play that actually didn't reflect well on the Dallas Cowboys. Just to give you the opposite right. viewpoint on it. Now, what I like was that. Well, what I like was the fake hamstring. <laughs> if you spot the player running back faked a hamstring injury, and he was the one that they threw the ball to. Now that is funny, but it is college level Bob Agary according to some. So just to give you the alternative point of view. To be, fair to, to be fair to Dallas, they've not got much to shout about, so you can't blame them for trying anything. Ah, listen, special teams are for special plays, and that was a special play. I'll hear it. I, I think more comedy gimmicks, call it comedy? college gimmicks should be in the NFL. All for it, all for it. Uh, Bowfin from Shawnee B, Cal Allen's ankle break, that was a nasty one. And Bobag was Joe Flacco uh, trying... Joe Flacco trying time cost the Jets. Trevor Lawrence, I'm not he's sure what just, that is. He's, he's just a ball bag anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's so. fine. Uh, Chris <laughs> Breen has to be cooked for another once a week. Bowfin is Brady with a shocker, and Bobag is the Chargers defense special teams determined to ensure they cannot win games. Brian Dando, Belter, is Aris for organizing another event. His beer pack is ordered. We will talk about our events towards the end of this one. Philip Rivers' attempted tackle wins him Bowfin. And Bobag, uh, Brian, who won our pick King of Scotland competition last year, is in the NFL Scotland Fantasy League. He gives Bobag to Ian Stephen for hanging on to four quarterbacks in our fantasy league and starting players that are on injured reserve. I think that's um, that's worth another like a complete entire podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to do a mini pod one day and just get everybody on to for Ian to explain what the hell he's doing. Seriously. Yep. Yep. Fortunately, I'm up against him this week. And he might play all four quarterbacks or might <laughs> play none of them. So I think I've got a guaranteed W. <laughs> so Belter, uh, Lauren Callahan, who's another Cowboy fan, good friend of the show, Dalvin Cook for him on a hot streak. He gives it though to the Cowboys special teams, though. He was clearly impressed with that play. Uh, Baufin Buccaneers, sorry, Polly, our resident Buccaneers fan, for putting in an anemic performance against the Saints. And Bobag for him as the Steelers. For listing Vance McDonald on the Friday injury report with illness, let, then letting them try travel with the team to play in the game only to be reported as positive for COVID on Monday, meaning that the Steelers and the Cowboys now need to enact advanced protocols for the entire week. If that is what's happened and he's been ill and they've not picked up on it and allowed him to travel and all that jazz, then that is stupid ball baggery behaviour. That's also a massive fine heading their way. (laughs) And you know what? Deserved, frankly. I mean, it's a difficult situation, but you know, if you're in doubt, leave him at home. Yeah, you got to play safe. I, I'm, I'm going to. I, I don't believe I'm saying this. I'm going to give the Steelers the benefit of the doubt. You're seven and zero. You don't need it. 
you don't need the hassle. So I would give them the benefit of the doubt on that one. You're going to play the Cowboys. You know, you, you weren't going to play a team that you would rate as being particularly great. There's no need at, at you know, there, the there are teams that would take a chance. There, there was, I don't see, I just don't see the, the risk reward. Yeah. Uh, George Jackson, his belter <laughs> is the Saints. Is, see, Paul's choking because he had to say something nice about the Steelers there. Uh, George Jackson, belter is the Steelers. Uh, sorry. Belter is the Saints. Uh, we looked unstoppable. 12 different receivers, 38 points, and only giving away one field goal. Baufin for him was the Bucks, as good as the Saints were. The Bucks were rank. And Bob Aggis himself for thinking the Chargers would have a good record this season. Uh, I think there's a couple more. Right. We'll make this the last one then. So, Polly, our resident Buccaneers fan, let's him give him the final word on this, eh? Awards as at 1am UK time on the 9th of November 2020. Belter, Josh Allen, for performing exceptionally well whilst dealing with his own personal grief. Sad news that his grandmother passed away. Of course, he came out and played very well. So, you know, credit to Allen for that. Bowfin. Philip Rivers losing out to the ever-improving Turf Monster. He has claimed a few quarterbacks this year, the Turf Monster. And ball bag none. The world is a wonderful place at the moment. That was at 1am on the 9th of November. Now, here's his awards uh, at about 5am uh, on the 9th of November. Belter, Saints game plan. Bowfin, where do I start? Bad coaching, offensive line, defensive line, a pointless challenge, interceptions, poor zone coverage. Oh, and we carried the ball only five times all game. Ball bag. Might give Ryan suck up a pass, going for a mighty one-on-one on field goals, but as a collective team, that was complete ball baggery by the Bucks. We didn't just lay an egg, we laid a turd the size of an iceberg during prime time. Despite all that, I, I still he, love him. Go Bucks. I think he's probably lying in a dark room. Still recovering. Yeah, and we were hoping that Mr. Mitchell would be in that room, but sadly the scenes won. So he's oh no, we, we were expecting that he would be gliding in here, um, still half cut, which is why he turned up late. Obviously, yeah, yeah. still bevying. Right, um, who are your award winners then? Um, I am going to give. I, I, we touched on their defense, but I'm going to give my belter this week to Tua purely for the potential. First of all, isn't it wonderful to have a left-handed quarterback? Yeah. Because it just makes the angle different. (laughs) Fun to watch. And there was a play that he made on that drive in the fourth quarter where he kind of just glided away from the the pressure. It looked like he was going to be sacked. And suddenly he just just shuttles through the, the defensive line that's coming through and he runs for about 18 yards. And you think, whoa, hang on a minute, this guy's for real. Because he can move. He can pass. His release is so quick and he's a lefty. And I think that that will actually throw a few teams over the course of the next kind of year or so, because there hasn't been a lefty of high caliber in the league, probably since Michael Vick, but he has got it all. And if he stays fit, wow, how good is it to be a Dolphins fan, frankly? So he's my belter. Um, I would say uh, Bowfing. That play in the new the New York Giants Washington uh, game. I don't know. Did you see that play where Antonio Gibson drops the ball and then it just becomes a stramash? <laughs> it's fabulous. And the ball. I think the ball travelled about forty yards. Yeah, yeah it really did. It travelled so far. <laughs> and nobody. I I can't understand how at least half a dozen offensive and defensive linemen didn't pick it up. But it made you realise just how shite they both are. And it was 
magnificent <laughs> to watch. And I think they replayed it about four or five times on Red Zone just to show just how bad these two teams are. Watch this play again. So that was, I think, that was the play of the day in all the wrong sense. And my ball bag, this is a slightly different one. Um, this is me doing a, a wee bit of re- reading on Monday, Tuesday. My ball bag is um, David Carr because the, the, the writers at NFL.com have all been picking their mid-season MVPs. And the vast majority of them have gone for uh, Russell Wilson. Um, and pretty much all the rest of them have gone for uh, Patrick Mahomes. And David Carr has voted for Derek Carr. What a knob. <laughs> what a knob. He's not, I mean, how, how um, fair enough, Oakland are five and three. How can you vote? I know he's your brother, but he's not an MVP candidate. He never will be an MVP candidate. At least give your vote to someone respectable like Aaron Rodgers or Alvin Kamara or Josh Allen. Don't give it to your brother. What's he going to do? Not give you a Christmas present? <laughs> All he ain't of them heavy. He's my brother. All Love of me. them fair. I tell you, he wasn't heavy when he did that leap. Um, right, Mr. Mitchell. Get your Saints belters out the way and then give us the rest of the awards. Well, I, th- I think I always look for things that are slightly unusual. That That is what I usually do for the belters. So the Saints, the most receivers from one team ever to catch passes in one game, 12 different Saints, just the third team to do so in the last 30 years. So the Saints get it for me. Josh Allen gets an honourable mention, as just Jake, Jake Luton, we, we talked about him. That 73-yard pass from him was tremendous. Bowfin, I would say the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they were just outplayed by the better team. And there's no shame in that. So I'm not putting them anywhere near that. I think Philip Rivers for, you know, the dying starfish has to come pretty damn close. Uh, but the Chargers, you've got to convert these games. I'm sorry. That that to me is Bowfin and Bobag. Now, Charles has mentioned this. The boy Dalvin Cook's pretty good. Now, I think we all know that, and people listening to this podcast will know that. So, what do you do if you're the defensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions? Do you stick your 11 best players on the field? No. You just stick 10 on because you want to have a laugh and watch the boy go 70 yards past you. Now, it's not complicated to try and get 11 people on a field. Now, I don't think it is. And when they're running the ball, just put 11 players on, you know, they might tackle like Philip Rivers, but just have the 11 players there. That's Bob Baggery from the Lions. Your season's on the line here. Don't get these things wrong. I hate bad coaching. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Now, actually, one more. One oh. more. So the only Bonus. thing I'm going, to, I'm going to have the Buccaneers for, because this is a great line, because like Charles as well, I'm going to do my homework. The second saddest shutout breaking field goal in NFL history was the Buccaneers. They kicked a field goal down 38 nil. 38 nil. They go for the three. That's embarrassing in itself. But twice before, teams have been 41 nil down and kicked a field goal just to get the zero off the board. So it's not the worst ball baggery in the world, but it's pretty damn close to it. <laughs> right, um, I gotta give it to so my belter this week. I, for me, it has to be Dalvin Cook to to have such a a big day again coming out of injury. Um, he has shown that he's absolutely one of the best in the business currently, and you know 
even more so when you've got Adrian Peterson who's sitting on the other side of the field watching you uh, do uh, putting up numbers that Peterson didn't really ever achieve. Um, I don't remember two games concurrently where he scored, where he scored, where he ran for over um, two hundred t- uh, yards and pretty much both of them in multiple touchdowns. And Peterson was something else in Minnesota. So you know, it's the reason that the Vikings have hope is because of Cook. I'm going to give a special mention, though, because there's not much else for me to shout about, to Richie James um, in what was a a deep list of receivers for the Niners. He managed to have nine receptions for 184 yards and a touchdown. Now, a lot of that might have come in junk time, and certainly he was unmarked an awful lot because <laughs> Green Bay were like, who's this guy? Um, but still, uh, he was a bit of a glimmering hope there in that uh, pit of despair that was Thursday Night Football. He's going to get injured this week, though. Yeah, so inevitably. Yeah, yeah, inevitably. So uh, so that's that. Bowfin, it has to be the Buccaneers. They were so Bowfin, but it was glorious. Uh, I, Brady was just terrible. Just terrible. I mean, it wasn't even like... Uh, the Saints' defense is good. I don't think it's sensational, but it just Brady was off his game. Um, the amount of overthrows, bad throws, receivers in the wrong place... There's only so much of that can happen that it's on the receivers. And there's so much of that can happen where you're like, the quarterback's got that one wrong. But, you know, he just seemed pissed off. I also thought the the picture of Drew Brees at the end of the game with the big smug face as he's looking up to Tom Brady. I thought that was a great photo as well. Um, Ball bag for me. It's actually a hard one. that I don't think there was a massive amount of bobaggery this weekend. Yes, there was. Yes, there was, because right. I forgot one. Right. Okay, do you know what? I'll give you the floor again. Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, hey, I got here late. Jameis Winston. No, nonsense. For that no, dance no, and no. eating the W, no. that was bobaggery. No, 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 wait. If he'd gone out and thrown all those touchdowns no. and won the game, that's fine. He didn't. You know, I mean, that was, he had more better performances for the Saints in the two games last season that we beat them in. You know, he actually contributed more to the Saints winning in the last few seasons than he did this week. That was Bob Baggery. Didn't like it at all. He's a dick. Paul, Paul, you can't deny that the second coming is is not far off. Listen, (laughs) it's happening. Just milk it. Milk it. Don't... Don't slag off. Don't don't slag off and don't criticise what you're going to be relying on in about eight weeks' time. So thank you. I thought the eating the W, because I have given him a hard time for that original piece, because that original piece was straight up crazy stuff. And I was like, that is a man who's just like on edge or just not quite fully there. I thought it was a nice little in your face. He just, it was a subtle little... And I just thought it was done well. And it was a get that right, Runji, to the Buccaneers because they moved on from him. They jettisoned him. He threw for so many touchdowns last year. Finally threw interceptions. But the yards, the touchdowns. He's a capable quarterback and he's at the competitors now. I thought brilliant. I thought it was great on Jameson. I personally thought it was brilliant to see him back out in the field. I hope to see more of it before the end of the season. Ball bag. <laughs> <laughs> right, we said at the top of this, this is episode 123. One, two, three. So we're going to take this uh, as a wee opportunity, as a little talking point, because we're already at over 50 minutes of this podcast. It's a bumper one, this one. We're going to talk about some of our top threes. 
um, because I feel like this is always a fun talking point. Uh, and I'm going to go around the room here and everyone can bring up a topic that they would like to discuss where we talk about the top threes. We've already covered the top three best Saints no calls. So let's move on from that. Um, Mr. Patterson, as guest, you get to go first. Well, I'm going to go with a bit of a homer here. Top three wide receivers in the NFL. Um, and I think we'll, do, we'll go in reverse order so we can maybe try and guess who number one is going to be. I would say number three... Um, based on this season, is DK Metcalf, I think. What he's done, and we obviously know how amazing he is as a runner. I, I, I mean, Cameron, I know that's something that you've really hooked on to this season. <laughs> the, the pace that he's shown, how crucial an element to that of his development as a receiver. I mean, he, the man's a monster. He is a monster. He's an absolute beast. Not that I know. Um, it's a shame that he's playing for a team that, you know, has got, he couldn't couldn't defend a thing, honestly. And the, the the only good thing for is that he's going to have ridiculous stats because Seattle, the way it's going, are going to have to score fifty points every game to win um, if they want to continue. So I would say DK Metcalf at number three, number two, purely for the class that he has over an extended period of time over the years, is Julio Jones, and he's I, I he's still got it for me. He's still got it for me, and he's playing an Atlanta team that are sneaky good at the moment. And they've got a tough schedule, but if I mean, you look at the games that they blew at the start of the season, they could be five and three, six and two, if things had gone their way. The best thing they did was fire Dan Quinn, but Julio Jones is still pound for pound right up there with the best as the best all-round receiver in the game. But he's not number one, because you know who is number one, is the main man himself, Devontae Adams. He is, without question, the best receiver in the league. And in part, that is due to who he's playing with. The, the The connection is telepathic with Aaron Rodgers, but he leads the league in touchdowns over the last four years. He's way ahead of anybody else. I think 48 touchdowns since 2016, um, which is eight more than his nearest competitor. But it's not just that. It's the, it's the route running. The route running is sublime. And the one play I think that sums him up this season was a really tiny, insignificant play in some respects, was the fourth the fourth and one play against San Francisco last week, which, you know, there was a timeout taken and there was a bit of discussion about how they were going to play it. And then Rogers throws him this very quick um, out, out pass on, on to, onto one hand. He catches it with one hand and then the, the defender is all over him, rips his glove off, still catches the ball. The man has got glue all over him. He doesn't drop a pass. And he had drops earlier on in his career. But he is now unquestionably the most reliable receiver in the league. It does help when you've got arguably the best quarterback of his generation throwing to you. But there's nobody else. And if Green Bay are going to go all the way to the Super Bowl, they're going to, that's going to be the connection that's going to take them there. Mr. Mitchell, your top three wide receivers in the NFL today. Uh, Michael Thomas. Um, Sanders. No, I mean, <laughs> I think John's pretty, pretty much going to write. It depends on who's throwing to you I think that that's that's part of the problem there's a lot of talented guys around there but if you don't have that connection you don't have that connection and yeah I mean I, I still think Michael Thomas is the best receiver in the league and I think the Saints showed that on Sunday how desperately they needed him to be there I think what we're looking at is I think they're starting to place a slightly higher value on not just number one receivers because I think to have a number one receiver is great, but if you don't have a capable two and three, the number one's just going to get marked out the game. And I think we're seeing that more that 
some teams will be quite happy to have almost two number twos rather than a big gap between one and two. Um, and I think the teams that will, will succeed most this year are the teams that have got a bit more depth at wide receiver because you can easily gobble up and defend the top guys. But Green, Green Bay completely bought that trend though, Paul, because they don't have a number two. They don't have even got a number three or number four. They've got Mr. No Name, who's been dragged off the scrap heap, and it's Adams to Rogers, Rogers to Adams the whole time. That's that's the beauty about why he's so good. Yes, but that will that will work for a certain amount of time. I think that, that if the the Packers have a downfall this year, that's probably where it's going to come, because the better defenses can handle that. Um, and I think you see success. I mean, look at Mahomes last year. I mean, he just threw to so many people. We saw it. Uh, you know, Brady's been doing that with the Buccaneers as well, throwing to so many people. You look at the teams. I mean, I think Adams is brilliant from a fantasy point of view because you know he's going to get a lot of targets. But as you, as you go further on, and certainly the playoffs, I think you've got to have the spread. So was that your one, two, three there? That was Michael Thomas's one. Uh, well, Devontae Adams is obviously up there as well. Um, I'm trying to, I you think putting Adams in it too. I mean, I, I would take Thomas one Adams too. Yeah, I'm okay. quite, I'm quite happy with that. Number three. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I like DK Metcalf simply just to annoy you. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> um, listen, you can't. I can understand the argument for DK Metcalf completely. He's had a great season. He's had a great season with a great quarterback who's been given the opportunity to throw it around. Here's why I don't have DK Metcalf in the top three. From 68 targets, he's got 43 receptions. You take someone like Julio Jones, who's had the same amount of receptions from 12 less targets. Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Matt Ryan, in my opinion, and therefore... DK Metcalf hasn't quite got that all-rounded game yet to be in the conversation to be considered top three. I think that for me, number three is... And this is actually where I'm flirting between... No, it's Julio Jones, because I think that Julio Jones can consistently be that target man. The the, the lack of fitness is definitely a problem. Um, but I think that Julio Jones can consistently be that target man. He can be the person who just gets the, the catches, gets the team down the field. He's big, he's strong, he goes about his business without any noise. Now, Michael Thomas isn't in my top three, but it's purely only because we're looking at it right now. If we'd been talking about this last year, Michael Thomas would be in that conversation. But he's injured and he's been punching his teammates. So, eh, I don't know. For that alone, he's out the bubble at the moment. We have this conversation in a couple of weeks and we have changed our mind. Julio Jones at number three. I've got Devontae Adams at number two. So I think that Devontae Adams is a sensational target man who continues to perform and he has done it for years. Again, there's been a couple of injuries there. But I think that he is a weapon who is consistently available to Aaron Rodgers. And as long as he's playing, you know that the Packers have a very, very strong chance of winning any game that they go into. He is an exceptional wide receiver talent, and he goes around his business in a really good way. For me, though, number one remains DeAndre Hopkins. I think that DeAndre Hopkins is now at the Cardinals, where he is in a much more complicated um receiver core where there's other talent there but he continually just catches the ball you know he's had 60 receptions off his 76 targets for 734 uh, yards 
I would say, you know, fine, he's touchdown numbers this year's three. He's not had a huge amount. But I think that's largely because he's playing with, of all the wide receivers we've spoken about, the least good quarterback. Kyler Murray is going to turn to his little, tiny little legs and run about all over the place. Um, And I think that DeAndre Hopkins continues to be the target man that he showed he was at the Texans. I still think he's absolutely the best in class. And for me, he's number one. Hmm. Okay. Yes, let's move on. Let's move on. Um, <laughs> Mr. Mitchell, you can pick subject number two for our top threes, and then I'll close us off with subject number three. Okay, I'm going to go for broadcast teams. Oh, jeez. Because I, I like this kind of thing. So oh, just to be, go. Just to be different. Now, in, interestingly, how do you, if you had one announcing partnership, so if you take the, the top four of ABC, which is ESPN, uh, Fox, CBS, and NBC. Who do you rate between Joe Buck and Troy Aikman, Jim Nance and Tony Romo, and you know Chris and Al? I mean, who, who, what, what is your one, two, three out of that? I'd be really interested to know. Um, you know, Chris Collinsworth and Al Michaels, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, Joe Buck, and Troy Aikman. What would be your one, two, threes? On right, that? I'm going to I'm going to start right, and I'm going to say that one of that three isn't in my top three. Okay, well, so while you're thinking about that, let, let me just run you through some of the other names that are kicking around at the moment. I, I can so tell you, you. I can tell you who my well, top three are if you want me to. I, I like you, you go, you go for it, dear right. boy. So my number three is Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth. I think it's old okay. reliable. I think that there's something about, and I mean, I'm going to play to your ego here, Mr. Mitchell, but there is something about a voice that you're used to hearing that just gives a familiarity around watching sport that you can enjoy. Um, if it's a voice that you've been listening to for a long time, there is something that just makes that part of the sporting experience. You definitely benefit from that because you're really old and you've been doing it for a long time. And therefore, Ex- experienced I, <laughs> is the word you're looking for. I can't. I can't get through this without some kind of pop at you. Come on. Um, but, you know... <laughs> this you, sounds like praise. This is it's praise. mostly praise, apart from the really old bit. Um, but I have definitely, you know, I've grown up listening to sport and listening to your voice talking about that sport. And therefore, a voice like that goes a long way. And that's why, for me, Michaels and Collinsworth, I don't think they do anything particularly special. But I think that they are just absolutely spot on, safe pair of hands, brilliant at what they do, Superb, right? Absolutely superb. Number two for me is Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner because I love Kevin Harlan and I think Kurt Warner is a really good lead analyst to sit alongside him. I think his experience in the game and the journey that he went on as a player is he's got a really good way of getting that experience into the way he talks about the game. And I just think Kevin Harlan, for me, has got one of the best voices. I think on big plays, Kevin Harlan has got a brilliant infliction on his voice that just gets you up out your seat. And I think that's tremendous for me number one is Jim Nance and Tony Romo and I'll be honest it's a lot of that is down to Tony Romo Tony Romo's analysis is phenomenal and I think he is by far the best lead analysis in the whole thing there is nobody better as a lead analyst I can't speak as a lead analyst I think that they've got a really good relationship I think the CBS coverage is superb for me they're the best they're the best right now and again, do you know what? Go back two or three years when Romo was coming onto the scene, he would have been immediately in that top group. But th- now, with a couple of years in, he's number top, top of the pile for sure. Mm. Charles. Well, if you were talking about the three that you mentioned at the start, I guess the three lead teams, um, 
I would pro, you know, I've got a bit of a soft spot for for Joe Buck and Troy Aitman. I don't know why. I think it's maybe because I like the fact that Joe Buck can flip to another sport um, so quickly. I, 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 Jim Nance can do that too. Um, I, you know, I, 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 there's something about, I think maybe it's because when I first started watching, the Fox game was the one that was always on. Aikman, I think, rubs a lot of people up the wrong way, but I think that his analysis is very, very good. And I do like the fact that Joe Buck can sometimes lob a grenade in there with his opinion. And I, I have always had a bit of a soft spot for for them. So it's a difficult one, really, in terms of those three. I would probably, probably just, because Romo is brilliant. I just don't like listening to Jim Nance. I've got, I'm, there's something about him that does, it grates with me. I would probably pick the Fox team ahead of, the um the, the CBS team and I do love Al Michaels and Chris Collins but Al Michaels I think is getting to the point where he probably needs to be put out to pasture and I think he would probably agree that himself. There are a couple who I I do like listening to. Kevin Harlan is one, but I think Paul, you would agree. I think him on the radio is maybe even better than being yeah. on the television. Um, and here's a total curveball, one that used to be on CBS a lot on the main games way back was Greg Gumbel, who is obviously a bit of a pioneer in the broadcasting industry um, over there as well. Um, and I love the fact that he hardly, he hardly uses words. He just lets the pictures do the talking. And one of the things that we have always learned in this industry is when you're, you know, you're commentating on TV, just let the pictures do the talking. Don't say too much. And he just, all he does is call out numbers. Sometimes, you know, when the guy is streaking down the field, um, I do think he he has a way with with, with making you feel like you're there. And um, I, I've always liked listening to Greg Gumbel because I think he, he used to call quite a lot of the Super Bowls back in the day in the, in the 90s for the for CBS and a lot of the big playoff games. And when I was getting into the NFL, he was on all the time. And that was before, you know, Jim the, the Jim Nance and Phil Sims duo took over, I guess. So that he's my kind of wee curveball in there, but I would I would put the Fox team at number one. I just think that I think they're class and the whole operations class. I just don't like the fact that they ditch Pam Oliver. Well, I have to say I've gone. I didn't like Joe Buck. I was not a fan of Joe Buck because I'm not a fan of nepotism, and there's no doubt Joe Buck got his chance. However, my opinion of Joe Buck changed when I watched. And I don't know if any of you guys have watched the TV series Brockmire. So if, if you've not heard, just allow me just a, a little uh, crazy of what Brockmire is. Brockmire um, is basically, I'm trying to remember the guy's name who plays him, but it'll come back to me in a minute. So basically, Brockmire is a baseball announcer for a major league baseball team. And he has a meltdown on air because he's discovered that his wife is having an affair. Now, he basically locks the broadcast booth and has an absolute meltdown. Hank uh, Azaria, I think, is, is how you pronounce it. Now, that scene alone is, is TV gold, and it is just unbelievable. So basically, he loses his job, he goes abroad and comes back and eventually gets a chance to talk baseball again in some hick town somewhere. It's genius. But Joe Buck makes cameo appearances in it. Because obviously, because they would have been moving in the same circles. And I just looked at Joe Buck in a different light because I think Joe Buck has got to the stage where he's not taking himself as seriously as an individual. And all of a sudden, I saw a different side of Joe Buck. I think he's lightened up greatly. He's clearly got a great friendship with Troy Aikman. I think they work together so well. So that's why they'd be at number one. But check out Brockmire if you've not seen it. We've been rude and sweary in places, I will warn you. 
But that scene where he describes his wife leaving him is just it is TV gold. Um, to me, Alan Chris are at number two. Um, Jim Nance and Tony Romo are at three. I, ju- I prefer the Fox production. Um, Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner, camera, I had written down here. The other pairing that I really like on radio is Ian Eagle and Ron Jaworski. They're currently the Monday night uh, radio guys. Hard to get a, a feed of it, but if you can, they're just two guys. Ian Eagle is superb on television. He's superb on radio. And Charles, you mentioned it. I do like guys who go between different sports, but my biggest admiration is for people who go between the two mediums because they are two completely different mediums and these guys just can flick a switch. Now, I could give you a list of people in this country who do it and who do it very badly, if, and I could give you a list of a few people who do it really well. And that's why I like Ian Eagle and Kevin Harlan as well. I've been a little bit disappointed with some of the ones further down the card this year. I don't think they're particularly strong. You know, Dick, Dick Stockton's still around. You know what you're going to get with him. Kenny Albert, you know what you're going to get with him. I think Sferdinus has not been particularly great. And I'm trying to remember the other one that I, I thought did a Saints game recently and I thought was pretty meh, uh, Joe Davis. So, you know, there are some not so great announcers. Interestingly, of course, Tom Brennan didn't return to Fox football this year after his slight faux pas with the Cincinnati Reds. And I think that was the right decision for this season, at least. Grand. Right, my turn. Top three. And the last one before we wrap up this episode. Top three rookies of the 2020 NFL season. Now, part of the reason that I turned to this is we actually had an article on the uh, NFL Scotland website written by Phil Dixon, who's, if you've not been reading his articles, he's been writing some great stuff on the NFL Scotland website. Check it out, www.nflscotland.com. But anyway, he did. Um, he's doing a mid-season rookie review, and he's asking, are they sleek or are they keek? Um, and I thought it was a really <laughs> fascinating talking point and actually, it's very easy to look at the quarterbacks and go, well, there you go, one, two, three quarterbacks. But no, I, I think that it's a, a bigger conversation point than that. So I'm going to open this up and hand it over to you guys first. But top three rookies of the NFL in the 2020 season thus far. Mr. Mitchell, you can start on this one. You're more than kind. I think it's too easy. I, I don't know. See, when you talk about rookies, I don't. my mind doesn't drift to quarterbacks. It, it's bizarre. I, I look at position players because quarterbacks come in with all the hype and things like that, and they get a lot, um, a, a lot of people put in there. I like T. Higgins at Cincinnati. I, I like Henry Ruggs, and I like um, Judy as well. I, I've been really excited by the wide receivers this year. Now I know all their stats won't bear them up as the top three, but you know when red zones hanging around. These are names that I'm looking for because I think they're exciting young players who could really blossom. Um, so if I could skew the question slightly to say the top three rookies as far as ball's concerned, that's three of the players that I'm looking for because I, I get really interested by great wide receiver play. You do get obsessed with the quarterbacks and it's easy to do that and because they get all the hype ahead of the draft. Um, and I think all three teams that took quarterbacks in the, the top six Positions. I think the Bengals, the Dolphins, and the um, who was the other team? Chargers. The Chargers. Yeah. Um, I think they'll all be quite happy with their picks. Frankly, um, I think you've got to look at Herbert. Justin Herbert's been tremendous in a losing team. Nobody expected him to make the impact he has. I would put him at number three in terms of rookies. There's going to be a total curveball coming in at number two. James Robinson. He's a rookie. He wasn't even drafted. 
And he is absolutely going all guns blazing in Jacksonville, who are, in my view, and in the view of many other people, looking to tank for Trevor. And actually, if you've got James Robinson as your running back, and you do happen to pick up Trevor Lawrence in the draft in 2021, you're not in a too bad a position at all if you're Jacksonville, because then you've got two keystone pieces. James Robinson wasn't drafted, and he is running the houses down. He's been terrific. And he's also uh, been traded to me in the fantasy league, and he's producing week after week. So <laughs> I'm all in for James Robinson. He's been great, and he can catch the ball out the backfield as well. So I think nobody, I find it extraordinary that he wasn't scouted properly, and nobody thought that he would be a decent pickup. And the, but the one that the one that has really shown is not is a wide receiver. He's not one of the the big three who was touted ahead of the draft. Is Justin Jefferson, and he yeah. is absolutely blowing defenses away at the moment in Minnesota. And this is what he's another reason that Minnesota actually have a have a stout chance to potentially make a run for the playoffs because if they're going to run on the play action game of of Dalvin Cook and it, if and when. Kirk Cousins is going to throw. Everybody at the start of the season was looking at Minnesota and saying, how are they going to replace Stefan Diggs? Well, they've done it. And they've drafted a guy who was not the top wide receiver in the draft. You know, Ruggs, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, they all went before him. But he has actually been the most productive of the lot. And he could end up being the best of the lot. He's a certifiable number two, possibly a number one receiver. So he's my number one for me because of this production. So I'm sitting here, you can't, this doesn't obviously come over on a podcast, but I'm sitting here nodding like the Churchill dog because uh, Charles has absolutely nailed that top three because it's identical to mine for pretty much the exact same reasons. For me, Justin Herbert is in number three, and it's purely because I think if you look at Herbert compared to Burroughs, uh, it's too early to say. Burroughs came in and he knew right away it was his team. He spent that whole summer, weird as it was, knowing that he was the number one quarterback. And I think Burroughs has been brilliant. And I expected him to be brilliant. Um, Herbert came in there and we were, we kind of thought, oh, when will we see Herbert? He was kind of thrown in unexpectedly by his own imagination. You know, I, I'm sure we all thought he was going to take over, but we thought it'd take a while. And whilst, fine, they've not had the wins, he's been brilliant. He really has been brilliant. He's put himself on the line he maybe needs to not do that as much, but he's he's just been so entertaining to watch. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Robinson, absolutely. James Robinson gets that number two because he was the undrafted uh, free agent because he came in and took over for a team that is not expected to do anything at all. Now, if you look at the numbers, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has actually done slightly better. He's got an extra touchdown. He's got a few more yards. But for me, it's the fact that Robinson did come in as an undrafted free agent and he's playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Um... It's not like at the moment until Bell's obviously come in. Edward Hilaire hasn't had any competition, but he's playing alongside Mahomes. That team is set up to for him to success. If anything, I've actually been, in a weird way, although he's got better numbers, slightly disappointed with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He's not been as good as I thought he might have been. He's not been bad by any shape of the imagination. He's maybe just not lit as much of a fire as I thought. But for me, number one is Justin Jefferson. I think Justin Jefferson is a, a viable weapon. There's a number of the wide receivers in the mix, but he leads all the rookie wide receivers when it comes to stats so far this season. And, I mean, you look in there as well. So he's currently ranked 15th when it comes to yards for wide receivers off of 34 receptions. You know, behind him, CeeDee Lamb's in at 17. And given the bum season that the Cowboys have had, that's impressive. Uh, T. Higgins is in at 25. Jerry Judy at 26. 
Henry Ruggs has obviously had some injuries, which hasn't been great. Travis Fulgham and stuff like that. There's been there's been a bunch of wide receivers that have come in and done something. Jalen Rager, I think we're going to see a lot from for the rest of the season. But so far, it is Justin Jefferson that's been the standout. Uh, and and you're you're you've hit the nail on the head with the whole Stephon Diggs thing. They lost a big receiver there, and they wondered how they were going to replace him. They've done it right away, and he's already a viable replacement for Diggs. I'm not going to say he's as good as Diggs. I don't think he's quite there yet. But he's absolutely a viable wide receiver too to play alongside Adam Thielen. Can I just throw in a very brief caveat? The person who will win the rookie of the year will be Tua if he takes him to the playoffs. And I think he can do. Even if he is riding on the defense, they will not get to the playoffs unless he makes plays. And if they get in the playoffs, the Dolphins, and if they go on a run, he will win it. It's definitely a, a much more open competition than I think it's been in recent years when it comes to offensive rookie of the year definitely and, and, and rookie of the year uh, it'll definitely be interesting but yeah um, okay we are at an hour 15 minutes we do need to talk about a couple of things before we wrap up Paul we're doing another event indeed we are and I have to give you the credit for doing a lot of the work well I say a lot of the work all of the work to, to prepare for it so in terms of, I mean, it's a great beer pack that we've got lined up with, with the hat. You know, people think if they think that we just throw these things together, it's actually a great deal of thought goes into the to the style and the content. Uh, and I'll give the nod to my podcast partner for that. It's looking really, really good. And uh, sales are going well, also. Yes, we've already sold a third of all the boxes. So that's great to see. Obviously, we've done this again because the first one was popular. We got a lot of really good feedback. People really enjoyed the beer. So we're working with Short Brewing again. This time, though, we've upgraded it a little bit. It was six beers. It was a pick six. This time, it's eight. It's our very own Octobox. So, you know, we know how much everyone enjoys Octobox on a Sunday. So we thought we'd give you an extra one. And this time as well, we're not just doing one live event. We're going to do two. So if you buy one of the packs, you will get an invite to an exclusive watch along on the Thursday Thanksgiving games, where we'll basically be sitting watching the games, sitting on Zoom and talking about them and giving some live reaction. And we'll stay on that as long as we can stay awake. (laughs) Some people have work on Friday. But what we'll do there is just get a bunch of people together and have a blether together about what's going on in those games on on the Thursday. On the Sunday, we're going to have another one, and that'll happen before the games kick off. That'll be with guests and chat. When we did the one preseason, there was loads of video content that we did before. This time, you know, with lockdown, we're not able to do as much stuff, unfortunately. Um, but what we will do is we're going to get some live guests. We're going to have some chat. We've got some really fun live guests uh, lined up, some definite uh, popular people in Scotland. So that's going to be great. Uh, some good banter. Um, uh, we look forward to that. And obviously, we've got eight beers. We've also got a bobble hat there that's exclusive. So if you are wanting to take part in that get on to our twitter get onto our facebook or you can go to the stuart brewing website and search for nfl scotland now the one other thing that we need to do is give an update on the bonnie sauce company pick'em competition because we're over halfway there and this is where it gets into the the interesting part of the competition and paul i think it's only right that we talk about this because i have to say both you and me are doing rather well in this um but we're not we're not top of the table. We're not top of the table. That is owned by himself by Buddy Brilliant, who's currently sitting on ninety six points, which is fantastic. We've got two people in tied second. We've got David Pearson, eighteen seventy four, and Alex McNiven. Alex has been lurking around the top the whole time. Uh, tied fourth, we've got Scottish Steeler and Aberdeen Goose. We've got three people in tied six: Juan Roberto, Steve Collins, and Keep Having Commit Dreams. 
And then there's a bunch of people there in ninth. Jambo Jap, who won the first ever one. Jay Bailey, Ned Dog, Radars, Scottish Manster, 54. That's Lauren Callahan, who's a resident Cowboys fan. And myself on 91 uh, in Tide 9. And then you're in Tide 15th on 90 points. And, and I'm looking through the list trying to find Charles Patterson. I can't find him. Hang on, modest, I've got I've got my ever. binoculars. I'll find them. Modest as ever. Goodness me. <laughs> oh, there he is. Tied 67th uh, with 84. So he's not doing terribly. He's only six picks behind me. Um, actually, I'm I saying know. that. Seven. Six picks behind you, Paul. So, you know, he, he can still catch us if he tries really, really hard. I'm losing. I'm, there's no point. It's not worth it. <laughs> I need to get myself... I need to get myself some more uh, body sauce, by the way. I've used all mine. It's just excellent. I actually just picked some up the other day um, because I've got some more of the the Chipotle. Uh, They they do a number of different ones, but I picked up the Chipotle. The Chipotle's brilliant. Uh, Tacos, chicken tacos is what I keep making with them. So, and I'll give you a little, honestly, just get some chicken, right? Cook it up, put in some uh, spring onions, a little bit of chipotle paste and some of that chipotle sauce. Mix it all up together. Right, get your tacos. And um, what you can do as well is you can get some spring onions, put it in with some vinegar and some sugar, and you can pickle them. Stick it in the microwave for about a minute, and it pickles those spring onions for you. Drizzle that over the top with a little bit of the pickle sauce. Uh, wrap it up. Absolutely banging. Let me tell you, absolutely. But a super easy recipe as well. Super easy. So this is what happens when you work from home, and. <laughs> Ultimately, you decide that I've got a fail-safe recipe. I'm just going to have it every day for lunch. <laughs> well, you you make your tacos, and I'll bring some extra sauce because that that sounds like a brilliant deal. You, you bring sauce every week. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Right. Well, I think that's the full-time whistle then for episode 123. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Make sure that you share your thoughts on this and every episode with uh, with on our Twitter feed at Scotland NFL and on Facebook by searching for NFL Scotland. Remember to look up all the articles on our website. There's some brilliant stuff going on there at the moment with our writers. So please keep on that. Thank you to Charles Patterson for joining us. Always good to have a cheesehead on the show. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Keep those award nominations coming in. Keep going, the New Orleans Saints. You were just wonderful this week. We'll be back next week to pick apart all the bits and pieces from week 10. But until then, bye for now.